Hey guys, welcome to episode five of the Aspiring Polymath. I am here with a good friend of mine, uh, Shala Alawiye. I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah, I am um, Ulu Shola Olawiye. I am a software developer and I do other things like um, 3D art and, you know, other forms of uh, creation for I mainly focus on software development. All right, Shola is uh, also known as OSD, or used to go by OSD. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's an abandoned name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why not? Why is it, why is it abandoned? <laughs> you know, we, we don't do music anymore. You know, so. uh, you, you know that's what, that's what your, your name is saved as on my phone. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Shola is a software developer. Um, I used to dabble in music. I remember those days when I used to play with uh, what's it called, Fruit Fruit Loops. I mean, is it Fruity Loops or Fruit Loops? Uh, FL. That sounds that sounds cool. Cool. Like, what what got you into coding? Like, what what was the light bulb moment when you decided, okay, um, this is something I should do? Was did that moment exist, or is it just something that you stumbled across? Yeah, it was more of um stumbling on it. Um, I don't think I have. You know, if you ask, uh, maybe someone who's a physicist now, um, what got you into physics? They they probably mentioned Einstein, Leibniz, and all that. Um, yeah. Maybe if you ask someone who is a microbiologist, someone in the life sciences, they could say Darwin or something like that. Uh, um, I, I don't think I had any like public figure. I would say, oh, I actually going to coding because of this person. Um, if anything, I um, actually started coding because um, Daniel was coding really. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna get to that actually. <laughs> yeah, it was more like um, you know. <laughs> anything Daniel Daniel is doing has to be cool. So like I actually gave programming a, a shot and I actually liked it. So um it's not really to be honest, it's not really programming that I like. Otherwise I um I've been doing um this coding competition kind of stuff. Um it's more like the the art of creating something, you know, um which programming gives you the ability to do. Um, so it's not yeah. really just programming itself. It's just creating stuff. And that's why I actually fell in love with um, 3D modeling and all that because it's also like creativity, also like making stuff. So. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. I was actually going to get into... Uh... Now, I remember those days in night prayer where you and Daniel, like, uh, who was the other person? Aminu. You, Daniel, Aminu would be like, I think it was Java. It was Java coding books you guys were reading, man. Daniel was always. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Java. We went into Java that time. Meanwhile, uh, those of us who are still, I don't want to say silly, but the way silly would be working on geography homework. That's not doing anything for me. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me laugh sometimes. Like I'll be working on geography homework or or drawing drawing digestive system of a toad from Mr. Detail instead of doing more, more <laughs> instead of doing more productive things. 
Yeah, life is funny. Like I've been, I've been trying to get my sister into coding. Um, she's in, she's in secondary school now. What, what class is she in now? She's twelve. I think she's, she's probably like in GS three or GS two or something. I've been trying to get her. I've been trying my very best to get her into coding because that's like the best time to, it's the best time to start, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. Best time to get into it before, before life hits you and then you don't have all this time. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's actually like the best time to get into programming, uh, strong kind of because you can fool around with a lot of things. I mean, imagine asking like, um, I'm not saying possible, but um, imagine asking like a 25 year old um to start with like C plus plus, OpenGL, Vulkan, you know. <laughs> so I, I. I at that kind of age, you're kind of um, limited to like what kind of coding you can do and all that kind of stuff. Because, yeah. You know, you don't want to spend um, four years writing some kind of um, rendering engine. <laughs> you know, at, at that point in your life, you're, you're thinking of paying the bills, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. when you're 12, you can actually like fool around with a lot of things. So, yeah. Yeah, over the, over the years, like, I tried or I thought about getting into coding several times actually. Like um right after right after NTIC, like I thought I I was really thinking about getting into it. When I first came here to when I became a freshman in college here, I got this Java book, but I would try it every now and then, but I I don't know, it just I just didn't really get into it. It wasn't making sense to me, honestly. And I guess I didn't really have the interest much. I think mm-hmm. that's that's the best way to put it. I didn't really have much of the interest. I just I didn't want it to take time. I wanted it to be instant, but it wasn't gonna work like that. I think maybe it's also because I started with Java. Java was perhaps not the best one for me to start with. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I took this uh, computational physics class and we are actually required to use some sort of coding. And the instructor wasn't teaching any coding. He would just give us physics problems and we had to fix them with code basically we had to solve them with code and the only thing he would do in class and the only thing that was in our textbooks was fortran fortran code like i ended up learning fortran 77 like nobody even uses that stuff anymore we ended up having to learn fortran 77 and fortran 90 in class and from the textbook just to basically just to get through that class and then i i hired this guy on campus um to teach me c just on the side, like with me, I would meet him like every weekend for like two, three hours. And he would teach me some stuff in C. So C was the first language I actually started learning. But I don't know what happened. I lost contact. I lost contact with the guy, so I kind of forgot. I kind of stopped learning C, and just kind of dropped it by the wayside. It wasn't until like a year after that, um, I met this. Uh, I met this professor in my university at the judo club. Funny enough, the unlikeliest of places to meet him. And he told me, okay, I can come audit his class. He was teaching an intro class and he was teaching Python. So when I came into that class, I was like, wow, I heard about Python before, but I didn't know what it was. I was like, what is that? I don't know. I mean, you know, Java and Java C, those were like popular ones yeah. at the time. At the time, anyways, these days, Python is a lot more popular. Yeah. 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 But back then, I didn't know what Python was. So I sat in this guy's class. I wasn't a student. He, he was just allowing me to audit the class. And I sat in the back and I was like paying attention to the class. And I was like, wow, this is more, this is a lot more, this is a lot more intuitive than this Java stuff that I've been looking at. Yeah. Yeah. 
passes <laughs> and see, see with all this scanf and all these weird brackets and and forward slashes that I don't really <laughs> I don't really want to get into. But Python seems a lot more um, low level, should I say? I guess so. It was, um, it was a lot more. I- it was like or high, high level, yeah, high level. Yeah, so high it was level. more like closer to English than machine language, basically, right? So that that made it um, that made it more interesting for me. It was a lot easier to get into that, and that's how I started my little journey. But I didn't really get serious with Python again until um, until I had to use it for networking until. I found a way to connect it to IT and connect it to networking. That's when I really got serious about Python. But yeah, mm. it's 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 weird. I, I feel like everybody needs everybody needs maybe not necessarily like a light bulb moment, but you need something to drag you into it, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, um, it, it's the same way everything like fitness, everything like um, it's quite difficult for someone to like talk you into doing it um in most cases um um you, you, you're just going to quit like you know it's not you just need that you know that ignition that's going to like really get you into it and you know get you focused in it. so yeah but anyways, uh, let's let's talk about some of the stuff you've worked on. Like, what was the first major project that you'd say you worked on? Hmm, interesting. I I would say um, hmm. It depends on how you want to define major. Really, I would say um, I would say it was some um, should I call it game engine some. Crap! I actually like made back in my second year at university it was some Mortal Kombat um, clone. But what okay. was like that? I used Java. It was some <laughs> game engine in quote like um, I made with Java, AWT, and all that. Um, it was um, I didn't use any game engine for to make it, so it was like a two D Mortal Kombat clone. It had this animation system of looping a bunch of images to give the illusion of, you know, animation and all that. Um, yeah, it was, um, I had to stop that because, um, school was just bombarding us with like lots of assignments, you know, irrelevant assignments and that you yeah. just have to complete because, you know, you want your degree and all that. But <laughs> I would say that's the first major one. Um, I don't think I'll call it major by standards today, but I'll say that was like my first real work on this project, you know, not 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 class assignments kind of stuff, like actual project, you know. Yeah. So I would say the first I I wouldn't call it large, but the first bigger project I worked on anyway, um, was my final year project where I was uh building a software to simulate how Laser lights would um, refract um, when it hits different kinds of lenses, like concave, uh, convex, and other kinds of stuff. So it was a physics simulation software built with Java and um, AWT. I also added some swing because um, 
Swing allowed me. So Swing is a GUI library that so <laughs> lots of people are calling outdated today. Um, back when I started Swing, it was like the best thing since you know sliced bread. Uh, uh, by today, everyone is calling uh, uh, Swing old school. You know, it's old. Everyone is jumping on the Java FX bandwagon or something like that. And anyway, desktop apps aren't too popular anymore. But um, going back to the final year project, I would say that was like um, a, a really big project for me. And um, ever since then, things just got more complex. Like um, after then, I worked on a horror game um, that was more, way more complex than my final year project, or less complex than the next one, which was the driving racing game. Um, I worked in that for about three years. Um, oh, wow. That's a long yeah, list of stuff. <laughs> it was, I think uh, the first one I was, I was aware of is one time when you were, I think you were trying to work on, I think it was a flight simulator you were trying to work on. I remember you were talking to me about um, physics equations for for that. Yeah, that was like yeah. a, that was years ago. Yeah. Uh, that was after I launched the trailer for that one. Um, I, I couldn't release it because it was just taking so long to finish. Um, that was after the racing game I launched the trailer for Turbulence. Turbulence was... Oh, really? That, that came after Driver's Call? Yes, I launched... Yeah, I launched Turbulence trailer, um, I think, about this time last year. Um, okay, tomorrow would we'll make it about this time last year. Um, Exactly one year. Um, okay. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, yeah. So turbulence was like um, was one of my, if not my most complex project ever, because um, yeah, it was just very very hard. Um, lots of physics equations, lots of um, math, lots of um, software. Um, stuff, lots of optimization, lots of graphics, 3D graphics, um, lots of software architecture, organizing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, what uh, what would you say got you into gaming, as in like creating gaming software? Was that just like the first natural transition for you because you're already into gaming, or? Why? Why did you? Why do you think you started there? Well, I, I I don't know if I can answer that question. Um, I just found game development actually interesting. The problem space was really really interesting. When I tried, um, I mean I I, I do web development when I can, but I usually find the problem itself less interesting because um. You know, you you kind of setting up stuff, and I just don't find the problem you're solving as interesting as what you're doing with game development, like, um, which is why I also like simulations. Like, I, I like those kind of problems, you know. Um, so yeah, game game development was just I just really liked it. After I developed my horror game, um, I, I was just like, this this keeps me busy. Like this this keeps me. It has a way of, um, you know, it puts like this cloud over your head, like, you know, it takes away your mind, you know, 
sometimes you're working on this project and you start working in the morning like 10 a.m. and before you know what's happening, you know, 5 p.m., 6 p.m., you know. <laughs> um, even at four, they need to like get food, you know, just walk around doing some stretching. You can actually like um, sit on your desk for about 10, 11, 12 hours, that kind of stuff. I just found it really yeah. funny. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's that's a good enough reason. That's that's the best reason, really, because if you're not enjoying it, you're not gonna go very far. To be honest, from mm. personal experience, I can say that. But um, so lately, you you made a jump from game development, should I say, to um, Club Asset, which is your latest so, project. I don't know. If real- there, I don't know if there was another project that came before that. From, from like, game, um, you mean you mean from game dev to grown up stuff? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean I won't really I won't really say that. I still like <laughs> I still like um, I'm still a huge fan of computer games specifically, so I won't really call it that. And, <laughs> and there's still money in console gaming, but yeah, to more let's say more more serious stuff. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Let's put it that way. But uh, what was what was that jump about? Was it just like I don't know if you again I don't know if you have an another project between turbulence and club acid that wasn't um game uh, yeah, it was it was um it was game related um I was actually working on one called empty universe it was a sci-fi um space kind of game it was um okay it, it really had no direction like you know usually when people want to start making games they like sit down they write stories they say oh this is how we want to end up to be, you know. They call it um game design documents. Okay, you know, you, you write a game design document. But for me, it was just like um, it was just like a way for me to like it was more like a scale extension kind of stuff. You know, when you spend three years actually working on a game, you if you're not careful, you like get um. How do I put it? Your skills get really focused on that, which which can be good and bad. It can be very good, like um, you you get to be an expert, if you like, on specific kinds of subjects um, in game development, and uh, it can be bad because you like get shot out from other parts. That I, I mean, it's no surprise. Like imagine talking to someone. Um, uh, in Boeing company, for example, who works on um, the airlock system, for example. <laughs> Don't be surprised if that person has no idea how, you know, this engine or that engine works. I mean, that's just, yeah. given the fact that, I mean, he's in the aviation industry, um, he just knows his work and his work alone. He, he probably has been designing airlock system for like the past 20 years. He's the world-leading world expert in that. And yeah. But, you know, he, he's taking this narrow line. So when I worked on uh, um, uh, the driver's mission for about three years, uh, I was already like, um, you know, I already had this, I don't want to say expert knowledge, but like deep knowledge in racing games and all that. And I just wanted to like flex my muscles in other areas. So... Um, I started with MC Universe and I was just like, the motivation was just make stuff and just put in the game. So I just looked for something like um, Fortnite, something 
quite disorganized. Not nothing really, you know. Fortnite has no storyline. Yeah. Like it's just so playing. Want like a sandbox universe kind of? Yeah, like um, just play as you like. Um, just shoot stuff up and yeah, you know. Yeah. So it was a really aimless kind of game until this whole COVID thing came, and. You know, I was reading some stats in the news and um, they're like, oh, you know, talking about how rising infections and blah, blah, blah. And I went online and I searched the entire web, except the dark web, um, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) I searched everything and I just couldn't find any software, like any... You know, there's a difference between like someone making some small scripts on YouTube that you can run on your web browser and, you know, I couldn't find an actual software I can do proper simulation on visual that would plot the graph and show me infection rising, um, effective rate of change, um, you know, just nice analytical visual simulation software for infectious diseases. Um, it was just absent. I found one. Um, it's an, it was made by an organization called Edmod. The name of the software is Edmod. Uh, they do um, to this simulation, and that was like the most uh, complex one I found. And wh- what I really like about it was all command line based. They're like, oh, you need to, when you download the software, you unpack this and unpack that and write this, run this command. I'm like. Yeah, as a programmer, yeah, as a programmer myself, I I am not really a big fan of um command line tools. I mean, if that's the only option I use, it, but I mean, if if there's a tool I can click this and click that, why would I want to open command line interface? You know, so I was wondering why epidemiologists or people in the public health field would have to pass through. You know, such horrors, and I was like, yes, I, can actually, <laughs> I can actually make this my next project. Um, I like simulation stuff. I mean, we talked about my final year project, um, simulating um, laser lights going through lenses and all that, um, yeah. refraction kind of stuff. For my master's thesis, um, I did um, I did simulation of DNA. Uh, natural selection of okay. DNA, simulating like natural selection of DNA and how genes uh, uh, are selected so you know for a specific environment kind of stuff. You know? Yeah, you know that's so, one thing I really love about coding. How it's like building all these different things requires you to pull knowledge from different areas that you would not yeah. necessarily be an expert in. Like how your your refractional project you'd have had to get familiar with stuff like Snell's law. And, um, mm-hmm. and angles of refraction and incident of refraction, stuff like that. For this DNA stuff, you'd have to learn about, at the very least, the basics of DNA sequencing to yeah, 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 make any sense. Like, you, you just, yeah. I don't know, it's like you become this repository of all this knowledge just to be able to build stuff. Just to be able to build stuff, exactly. So um, when I started simulating with club acid infection, I had to do lots of reading on the infectious diseases and, you know, follow lots of um, 
channels on YouTube, like doctors actually, not just anyone talking. Um, read lots of um, uh, I read lots of stuff on the uh, NHS and um, w- w- what's the American one again? Um, CDC. CDC, yeah. <laughs> With lots yeah. of stuff on those websites and <laughs> anywhere I can pull um, um, academic articles and um, epidemiology and all that. So just to get that knowledge in, and um, so I was like, and as I was working on Clover Seed, uh, it was actually um, called COVID nineteen pandemic simulator at first. And when I put it <laughs> on the Windows Store, on the Windows Store, I was getting lots of downloads. I'm like. I've never gotten like this much downloads on my app. Uh, I think it was because of the COVID nineteen buzzwords and yeah. Uh, yeah. Microsoft. Uh, now, um, I don't know. They came up with this rule where um, you cannot search for any app with the name COVID nineteen in it. Um, so a lot of companies did that. Now, you know, YouTube did a similar thing where um, at some point, if you mentioned. COVID-19, and hopefully Spotify is not doing <laughs> I'm actually going to put I just remembered, I'm actually going to put this on YouTube also. But if you mentioned, you know, that thing that's going around right now on your video, they'll mm. demonetize your video, basically, and the algorithm will not let your video spread as as far as it usually would. I don't, I don't know. I guess mm. that was the attempt of trying to stop people from freaking yeah, out. Yeah, I, I, I think people were like, oh, I think a lot of people were like trying to like milk the whole thing, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, you yeah. Know, a lot of you know, content producers in it. Yeah, people want to use COVID. So when I actually now uh, I changed the name to Pandemic Simulator, but I then later realized like this this name doesn't sound serious. Like Pandemic Simulator sounds like a game, like name of um. So, <laughs> so game, you know, infect your enemy. Yeah, <laughs> take over the world kind of stuff. <laughs> you know. So um I came up with the name Clover Seed, which means cluster based simulation of infectious diseases. Uh, okay. So, okay, you say that one more time for the audience. Cluster based um simulation of infectious diseases. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that pandemic simulator sounds like a game because there's this game I've had on my I've had it on my phone for like I think five years now. It's called Plague Inc. Don't ask me why I've been playing a game called Plague Inc. But basically, um, the point of the game was you select a type of um, what do I even call it? Microbe or pathogen, whatever. Bacteria, virus, uh, I think prion, a couple others, um, fungus. You select a kind of base, basically fungi or whatever, that you could use to create a disease. And then over time, you can infect the population, the world population with the disease. You have to start in one country. You can start infecting um, the world's population with this disease. And the more people you infect, the more people you kill the more points you get. You get these uh, research points, basically. You can use these points to mutate the disease and either make it deadlier or make it easier to transmit or make it resistant to antibiotics, stuff like that. And your goal, basically, is to kill as many people in the world as possible. Basically, your goal is to kill the whole world. 
And then what happens is the more your disease spreads, kind of like this one going around now, the more people start to take notice and they actually start to do research to try and cure the disease. So it's like a race against time. You're trying to mutate fast enough to kill and spread and also resist any efforts that they create to fix it, make it more resistant to cold, blah, blah, blah. And these countries are trying to research to cure it. So if like maybe Britain is like getting real close to getting a cure, I'll start mutating the disease to make it more resistant to cold so it can spread more in Britain, that kind of thing. It's really, it's really insidious. And then some countries are closing their borders too. And if they close their borders before the disease gets there, you can't infect them. So it, it's a really weird game. Now that you think about it, now I think about it rather, but with all this stuff going on, it was just, I don't know, sorry to say, it made me laugh a little bit because I was like, wow, like this is like, this is like Plague Inc. in real life. That's what it felt like, like somebody was playing Plague Inc. in real life with us. <laughs> There's a way. <laughs> it's a unique concept for a game, but <laughs> you know, so. And the game is very well done. It's very, very complex. Like it's very well done. If anybody wants to go check it out, and it's been out for it's been out for a minute now. It's mm. I don't know. They really went into they must have gone into a lot of research in biology to be able to put that together, or immunology, mm. microbiology, all that stuff. It's very mm. well detailed. But mm. yeah, so when you when you created Club Acid. What was your, what was your go-to when you like when you okay? I don't know if you're exactly finished because it's very hard to, it's very hard to put a period on stuff that you're creating, I guess. But when you got to the point where you're like, okay, this is like my minimum viable product, it works. You can do X, Y, Z. Like, what was your first go-to music mm. or to? The fun is when I started it. Um, I it was just basic dots moving around and just kind of things. So it was still on that you know, not not so serious kind of level. And um, I was now like, um, I actually want to, to visualize this in a graph. You know, plot the infection curve and everything like that. Infection recovery susceptible. Um, and I was plotting the graph, showing some details, number of infections, the number of them. At that point, I was like, okay, this is, this does something, okay. So I uploaded that on um, Windows Store. And from then on, I, I just don't know what exactly made me really like this project. So it was just more... Updates upon updates upon updates, and then uh, add this feature, uh, add this feature, add multiple clusters. How is this cluster performing um, compared to this cluster? Um, you can implement lockdowns in different clusters. You can say, oh, anyone can visit any location. You can say, okay, lockdown, but with X amount of X percent disobedience rate. Um, you can compare that with, like, let's say there's a 10% disobedient rate to lockdown. Um, so basically, let me explain what, what that means. In, in the lockdown feature, um, you're only supposed to go to, like, the location closest to you. And um, so disobedience just means you're just going to wherever location you like. Um, <laughs> you, can, 
kind of like track that. Um, how many percent of surveillance do you need to make the whole lockdown thing kind of like pointless? Pointless. Um, other things I added was like vaccination strategy. Um, okay, it's cool if we have vaccines for everyone and everyone can be vaccinated instantly, but that's not realistic. So we had limited amount of vaccines and we wanted um vaccinate X amount of people within X amount of days. What kind of effects are we going to have? Um, I also did this kind of thing um, where usually people make this SR model um, susceptible, infectious, uh, recovered. Um, well, if you recover, what's to say you cannot get it again? You understand? Um, depending on the virus where, or back, um, disease, depending on type of disease, we actually um, simulate it. Um, so yeah. for, for some diseases, um, anti, the, the antibodies, um, it, it's not going to last very, very long. Um, it, um, so recovering from the disease doesn't um, guarantee lifelong immunity, that kind of stuff. So um, I also take that into consideration, what kind of disease are we simulating for? How does this, how does this disease spread? Is it droplets? Is it aerosol? Is it STDs? Is it um, is it close contact? So it was. It, I just want to make it like a full package, de facto standard of simulating infectious diseases. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, it's very. Uh, it's it's a good time to be creating something like that, considering um, a lot of people are hinting that um, this is just the first of perhaps a number of viruses like this that we're going to see. Wink, wink, Bill Gates. Uh, he's been talking about this stuff since the early 2000s, I think. I don't know why he's so obsessed with the idea of this uh, um, pandemic or excuse me, virus thing, but he's been he's been harping on this thing for, I don't even know how long, over 10 years now, I believe. And um, just before, a few years before this virus, he, he started talking about it again. I, I think, uh, don't quote me, I think it was a TED Talk. I'm not sure, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he's been on this issue for a while and he strongly believes that there's more where that came from. Um, Whichever side of the tinfoil hat you fall on, I mean, whether it's like a natural thing that's happening because um, humans are being careless or, I don't know, polar caps in, in the North Pole are being exposed that we're seeing new types of microbes coming out. Or the thing is, the thing is, um, um, the thing is um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, regardless of, um, so that's why I thought about um, regardless of what, of where they came from, or where it comes from, or where it will come from, <laughs> whichever future one yeah, yeah. it's coming yeah. from, we still need to. Um, um, I just feel like um, this COVID thing, um, and I, we can go back to Ebola um, kind of stuff. Um, Ebola and COVID, um, you, you can argue Zika in the south, south, southern part of America um, some, some years back. Um, it, it took this kind of outbreaks for people to start educating themselves on, you know, 
basic forms of hygiene and how diseases spread and all that. And it shouldn't yeah. be so. I feel like um, it should be... I mean, we always told um, from what, when we were like really, really small, uh, when we were like really small children, uh, wash your hands, do this, do that. Well, I, I feel we really need to revisit this topic of um, infectious diseases and um, how they spread. And it needs to be as common knowledge as, as ABC wants to say. And hopefully, <laughs> Cloverseed would uh, play a role in uh, ensuring that. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's what I was saying. Like, whichever, whichever side of the tinfoil hat you fall on, um, the measures that we have to take are still are still the same, really. Mm. Educa- education, um, possibly vaccination. Again, you know, whichever side of the tinfoil hat you fall on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like the same measures have to have to come into play, also. And I think it's not so much that people don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are some people that don't know, especially in like. Um, low per capita income parts of the world, some parts of Nigeria. I'm sure there's some people that really don't know what they're supposed to be doing. But for the most part, there's a large, there's a large um, group of people that know and they just don't see the importance of doing it. So it took, I think that's why it took something like this to scare people into doing it almost. I know that sounds a little bit, <laughs> that sounds a little bit sketch. Especially uh, mentioning Bill Gates five minutes ago, but I think it took that to scare people into doing it. Like, okay, I don't want to get infected. I'm gonna wash my hands. I'm gonna put a, you know, clean my hands to hand sanitizer. It's not like they didn't know. I mean, especially here in America, for instance, like I'll I'd venture and say pretty much everybody here knew that they're supposed to wash their hands after leaving the bathroom, but lots of people didn't do it. I can tell you that lots of people didn't do it. Several times you hear somebody in the bathroom, they just walk straight out. Lots of people did not do it. <laughs> yeah, they didn't do it. <laughs> now everybody's everybody's afraid. Now everybody like I remember especially around like May, everybody you, you hear everybody do the 20 second hand wash because nobody wants to get nobody wants to get infected. So I don't know. I guess it's it, it's in a way it's human nature. If something is not if something is not at the forefront of your mind, if it does not seem like it's a direct mm-hmm. issue or direct threat, it's, people tend to just relegate it to other parts, just think of it as unimportant. Mm-hmm. Especially when they're telling you, oh, you need to wash your hands, you need to wash your hands, but you're not seeing it. You're not washing your hands and you're not seeing any, at least no obvious negative repercussions. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's no real reason to change your mind, really. I think that's how most people mm-hmm. operate it until mm. now so the real question is whether this is going to be lasting or if if we ever be if we ever go post-covid nobody still knows for sure if this is going to be a post-covid but if that ever happens 10 years post-covid are people just going to go back to not washing their hands or is it going to be something that becomes a a sticking point in culture especially cultures like this I know in um, Eastern cultures like Asia, for instance, I've heard um, people have always had the habit of um, keeping that kind of hygiene, wearing masks, even when they have the flu or something like that. Whereas even now, it's hard to get people to hear wear masks. Yeah. Here. Because people have been doing it over there for a long time. So it's 
on some level it's a cultural thing i just wonder if it's going to become a part of the culture or if it's if it's just wane and die down if covid goes away mm-hmm. but i don't know so yeah you i like i really like the uh disobedience um disobedience factor you added to the game because without without that the game, it wouldn't be very well sorry i called it a game <laughs> not a game but to the simulator and i like i like games too that's my problem but i like the disobedience factor you added to the simulator because without it it wouldn't be it wouldn't be very realistic and i think that's something a lot of these governments don't especially the american government do not take into account like they make all these stipulations and yeah stand six feet apart don't do this don't do that don't do that and well, we're on lockdown, but if you're essential, you can go to work. And because I work at a data center, I'm considered essential. All our staff there are considered essential. And we were we never went home. Half of our team was at home for a while, but most of us were always going into work. Like we never stopped going into work, like mm. ever, ever since, ever since what, February, March? The only time I haven't been at work was when we were on break in July and recently when I was on PTO. I'm still on PTO now until Monday. But we've been at work the whole time. And while we were working, especially like the early corona period, like um, we used to cater in food so we wouldn't go out to restaurants. A lot of restaurants were closed anyways. But we were catering in food from this one restaurant, which was allowed to stay open because they were essential because they're serving essential people like us. So it's almost like it was like this chain yeah. of essential people. And I'm sure there's other companies that are serving that restaurant in order for them to stay in business because they are essential, yeah. because we are essential. And now it's like, yeah, it's like a lot of people were at home, but now there's all these people outside. So what? <laughs> and then after all of us go outside every day, we will then go back home and meet the people that have been on lockdown anyways. Yeah. In a way, it sounds, it's, I don't know, it seems a little bit ludicrous. I don't know, something something has to be done, especially if another if another wave is supposedly coming. Something has to be done. But hopefully uh, simulations or sim- simulators like yours can help. I don't know, somebody in the government should definitely look at using some of those <laughs> and see what happens. Um, I'm sure Bill Gates would be interested in something like this if he doesn't have his own. I mean, that guy is so in love with this stuff. I'm sure he already has his own. <laughs> I'm sure he already has his own. <laughs> but you never know. You can, you can pitch it to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Let's see what happens. Um, and he actually funds, I think so. I, I think you, you might want to like cross check. Um, the Edmont organization. I think. Um, I think he. Um, he's. Let me see if I can do like a quick search on that. I think um, he's. Uh, he, in one way or the other, um, wants um, Edmont. Um, the the organization I told you that did um. Uh, that does simulation for infectious diseases. Oh, the one that you said uses the command line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more, yeah. Yeah. Why does that not surprise me? Yeah. yeah I think it, I, I will need to confirm that, but um, I think I think I saw that somewhere. Yeah, I, I think so. Okay. Yes. Um. I just somebody can fact check that for us, maybe. 
But yeah, that would not that would not shock me at all. He's definitely big on that. It seems like he's he's focused has almost completely left technology and his eyes are Ooh, so you do you still do are you still like into um Python and all that kind of stuff? Do you do still write Python programs? Yeah every now and then. Lately my my experience with Python has been Relegated almost entirely to two libraries. They're built for network engineering, um, NetMiko, Paramiko. That's what I've been using lately. But it's so much stuff, honestly, because these days, to being a network engineer, it's not just it's not just okay work with these nets. Like it's like now you have to know everything. And I'm also trying to get into cloud engineering, which is why I'm getting more serious with Python. So there's learning to use AWS, which I've been doing for a while now. I got my AWS certificate. There's um, learning one scripting language. They usually want at least one or two scripting languages, Python, maybe Ruby or Go. I've even seen Go. I've seen the one, some of them want React.js. Some of them want all of those things put together. Some of them want PHP. Um, they also want you to be good with Ansible. They also want you to know Kubernetes. They also want you to know Docker. They also want uh. <laughs> it's an endless list of stuff. Honestly, just go go on LinkedIn. There's this meme on uh there's this meme that goes around the programming community. They're like um uh, they want someone to have five years experience in Dino. Like <laughs> Dino came out <laughs> no up to five. Dino oh, is yeah. up to five years old, yeah. Or <laughs> you want fifty years experience with React or something like that. <laughs> you know. I was so, I, I saw a funny meme like that where one guy was like, um he was applying to a, I don't think it was even a meme, I think it was from like uh it was on one of these forums like Reddit or one of one of these places. Maybe Reddit or what's the other one called? Stack. I don't know if it was Stack Overflow Reddit. One of these things, Sha. Um, and uh, he was saying he was applying for a position, and they were turning him down because he didn't have ten years' experience in this thing. I can't remember. I won't. I'll be lying if I say I remember what technology was. But um, he said um, he told them, "Well, that doesn't make any sense. I should know because I created it five years ago." <laughs> And it's a huge problem in recruiters because, like, it's almost like recruiters just they tell them go find somebody, and they just come up with this arbitrarily arbitrary wish lists of things yeah. that they want. And sometimes you don't even know what those things mean. I actually, I actually saw somewhere. I, I think this was a joke, but I, I'll just say anyway. Where like, um, you know, you need to. Be an expert in. I think they, they just called some random stuff. They went all the way from like um, front end web dev stuff to back end web dev uh, web dev stuff, all the way to like graphics, open GL, and all that. I'm like, okay, okay, this guy, this guys want some real life to the start or something, you know? Yeah, it's it's crazy. What's I don't know, especially what some of those people demand, like, especially if you're already, you're outside the industry trying to get inside, it's, it won't even make any sense to you just looking at that stuff. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it is what it is, you know, that's just, that's just how, that's the layer of the ladder, I have to deal with it like that. But, um, yeah, yeah. okay, before we close out here, what, uh, 
what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to get into software development today? Like, I don't want to make it too generic, but what's, let's say, what language would you advise them to learn? What kind of project um, would you advise them to start with? That kind of thing. Uh, you see, this is the problem. Um, it depends on what part of software engineering you want to get into, I would say. Um, currently, the web is hot. Um, web dev is the most in demand. Um, I don't think I'll be advising anyone to... <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Go down the game. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> really tough out there. The streets are cold out there. The streets are cold. You know, so web dev kind of stuff. Um, typical JavaScript, Python, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, Dino framework um, is, look, looks like it's going to get hot. Um, it looks like it's going to like take over Node.js and all that. Um, um, so JavaScript, TypeScript, you know, Python kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. And if you if you're doing well in your industry and all that, um, I would really want to like question your motive open into like the tech industry. Most people think that, you know, we're mining gold here and, you know, all the <laughs> job security and all that. And, you know, like if, if you're doing well in your industry, like it's okay if you want to do like tech and you want to build your own stuff and all that, that's cool. But I feel like a lot of people have this um, really unrealistic view, like getting to tech. Mm -hmm. like they, grass, they grass is greener. Right. Yeah, they read some success stories and all that. Recently, I had someone who was telling me, you know, uh, Stripe, this type of Stripe or whatever they name it, acquired um, PayStack, Nigerian company. Yeah, yeah, I read about that. About, I think that was about, yeah. yeah, $200 million. And I, some of my guys are like, ah, you see, you see, this is why this tech, man. I need to do this tech, you know, we need to make this. <laughs> you know, so like you read these success stories on papers and front page news headlines and you think that's what the tech industry is like. Not not saying if you they can be the next whoever, but you know it's not the norm. So yes, I would really want a dose of reality. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 good to it's good to always like whenever you hear stories like that, it's good to always at least do your own background research, like really look into it or or take it with a grain of salt, you know, like the grass is not always greener. You always hear stories about stuff. And and when you say the tech industry too, like it's huge. Like what are you what are you specifically talking about? Like mm -hmm. even just even networking alone, network engineering alone is huge. It's completely huge. There's so much. There's so much you can do there. Networks like is huge. Before you go into stuff like um, cybersecurity and the different, 
the different meanings that that word can have also like what kind mm-hmm. of analyst are you are you like working with firewalls and switches and or are you working with you know sap systems or like what are you working with? there's there's so many so many possible meanings to that word then before we even get into mm-hmm. development and is it front end is it back end it's mm-hmm. it's a lot so when, when people are like oh it is booming it's booming it's booming it yeah. yeah, that could be true relatively compared to some other fields, but it doesn't really give people a lot of direction because they're like, okay, I want to get into IT, but they get in there and now they don't know, they don't even know where to start from, where they head yeah. is, where they tail is. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Even, I always even, have even, to do that yeah. look into it well. Even game dev has like lots of, it's not just like, oh, game dev, like it's usually especially when you like go to like big uh, studios, AAA studios, and uh, you have physics programmers, physics um, uh, programmers, you have graphics, the ones focused on like hardcore shader writing and all that kind of stuff. You have script, like gameplay programmers and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's usually such a like broad industry and I feel it's a big disadvantage because it's not um the diversity in the industry is not respected. Like in the medical industry you wouldn't hear someone say, um, we're looking for a dentist, you need to be able to like fix the heart and fix the eyes and fix the brain. Yeah. You know, um the yeah. diversity there is respected. You respect someone who went to school for years and years and years just to study like the teeth, you know. You, you you respect like the intricacy of that subject area, but you know in, in the tech industry it's more like ah yeah yeah you know you know JavaScript right yeah okay and you should know plus plus right it's yeah. so you know it's not it's not you know it's not I think there there, there, there are two two main reasons why they do that I mean in the in the medical field for instance obviously like the consequences of failure are a lot more, a lot more dire. Like this is the standard chance of maiming somebody, paralyzing them or killing them worst case scenario. And also in the tech industry, I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't big consequences for the tech industry, but a company losing $5 million from screaming being down is not the same as a person dying, you know, also in the Mm. tech industry, especially like in, networking, maybe even cybersecurity also. Companies like to shortchange those departments. I mean, people hear like, oh, this guy gets paid $100,000. Yeah, like the individual is getting paid a lot. But the departments as a whole sometimes get, it depends on the size of the company. I'm not saying a company like Microsoft will do this, but maybe mid-sized companies tend to shortchange those departments because especially in cybersecurity, for instance, you're like, you're like the constant boogeyman. You're telling your boss all the time, oh, yeah, there's this uh, virus going around. We could get hacked, this, that, blah, 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 blah. But the problem is if you're doing your job well, your boss never sees any of this stuff. So then he starts wondering, what am I spending all this? What am I spending all this money on, you know? <laughs> what am I spending all this money on? Invisible things that don't exist. Now you start looking like, you start looking like the boy that cried wolf, basically. Because you're always telling them, okay, we need to upgrade this software. But he's like, why? We haven't gotten, nothing happened. We get hacked. Business is booming. 
why are we spending $2 million to get new software licenses and new hardware and everything when everything's working fine? And then you have to explain and explain and explain. And then when something goes wrong, all of a sudden it's your fault. Isn't this your job? You're supposed to prevent this from happening. Why is this happening? You know, so because of that reason, they want to like save all this money and that leads them to wanting to get jack of all trades. Basically, they want one guy that can do JavaScript, that can do Go, that can do Python. They can also work their AWS systems. They can create all their instances, network everything. Maybe not one guy, but like four guys that can do all that instead of a department of 15 guys that would spread out all that work. Mm. And very often they can get away with it, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, this has been this has been fun. Um, hopefully, somebody learned a thing or two. Um, I don't know if you want to um, give the audience more information on where to find Club Acid or any of your previous projects. If you have like a centralized page or something like that, maybe just a social media info or something before we head yeah. out. Yeah, you can find Club Acid. Uh, it's free on the Microsoft Store. Just type in Club Acid and. For more of my projects, you can check on, on my YouTube channel, Olusha uh, Laoye, and yes, you, you'll be able to find all my uh, software projects I work on. I'm actually like, anyway, I'll talk about that. Um, um, I'm actually like launching something on my YouTube channel. Um, so it'll be like um, a documentary on um, okay. steps I took to build uh, my big project. So. Yeah, okay. I'll okay. That on oh, my cool. Channel. cool. So yeah. So that's a that's a club acid as in C L U B A S I D. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'll link it in the description. I also, if you if you send me your um, YouTube, if you send me a link to your YouTube page. I also link it in the description for anybody that wants to find them. All right. And. Yeah, thanks for hopping on. It's uh should be like what twelve fifteen right now in Lagos. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was late over there. But yeah, this was fun. Hopefully people learned a couple things here and there. Um hopefully some people will still want to go into game development. <laughs> hopefully they still want to go into game development. People like me still need games to play, you still need I, I don't I don't I don't know. I I still like games, indie games kind of, so I hope people will keep developing games for people like me and hopefully some of them reach out to you if they're interested. And uh, yeah, thanks again for that for hopping on. Uh, All right. See you next time, I guess. All right. Okay. See you soon.